0: This is Coast to Coast with Robert Ambrogi and J. Craig Williams, America's top web bloggers in the legal profession. And yes, they are attorneys, both of them. One from California, one from Massachusetts. You can only guess what will happen next. Coast to Coast is sponsored by Law.com, right here on the Legal Talk Network.
1: Welcome to Coast to Coast on the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you could join us today. I'm Bob Ambrogi in Massachusetts.
2: And I'm Craig Williams from Southern California. I write a blog called May It Please the Court. Bob, I know you write a couple.
1: I write uh, law sites, media law, and also contribute to the legal uh, blog watch on law.com. Craig, uh, recently there's been a growing trend by companies to hire part-time or or outside general counsel uh, instead of uh, paying for legal services by the the billable hour or uh, retaining a full-time in-house G.C.?
2: Well, generally, they're experienced senior lawyers who work as outsourced GCs on an as-needed basis to handle the company's legal needs. The need for part-time GCs has become so large, firms offering those services themselves have grown quite a bit.
1: And, of course, because of SOX and new rules of e-discovery, GCs are hiring outside counsel to deal with uh, corporate governance issues and, uh, and spending lots of money doing so.
2: So what is the role of the new GC? Bombarded by technology and the fear of backdating stock options and other and fraud, are GCs basically holding companies together?
1: So today we'll look at this trend uh, of hiring part-time GCs and uh, the new role of the GC as the superhero of the company.
2: Well, we'd like to first welcome uh, John Azaza, who's presently the principal of Azaza Consulting LLC in Newport Coast, California a records and information management consulting firm. He's also a trial attorney and the former general counsel for Interlace, a medical device laser manufacturer. John also has a distinguished career in the electronic records area and provides information management advice to Fortune 500 companies, including Microsoft, Sony Pictures, and Cigna, to name just a
3: few. Welcome to the show, John. Uh, Thank you for having me, and I'm no superhero by any stretch of the imagination.
1: (laughs) And uh, next we'd like to welcome to the show Stuart Blake. Stewart is co-founder of the General Counsel LLC, an outsourced legal solutions and recruiting firm dedicated to providing emerging and mid-sized companies with part-time or interim in-house general counsel on a monthly retainer without the high cost of hiring a general counsel on staff or using the more traditional hourly rate firms. Stewart brings more than 25 years of in-house corporate legal experience from the consumer products and technology sectors where he counseled a wide variety of general business issues. He has a proven track record of forging successful working relationships with executive management teams. Stewart was vice president, general counsel, and secretary for Kinko's Incorporated for five years, and vice president, general counsel, and secretary for Baskin-Robbins USA for six years. Now, that's a sweet job. Stewart <laughs> uh, Stuart also spent six years with Burger King as corporate counsel and senior corporate counsel. And uh, Stuart also writes a, a blog on his website at, the, at the net. Welcome to the program, Stuart.
4: Thank you. It's my pleasure to par- participate with you all.
1: Well, Stuart, let's start with you. Why don't you tell us, uh, uh, tell us the idea behind the General Counsel LLC?
4: Well, the idea started uh, back in the days when I was an in-house general counsel, and um, of course, general counsels are faced with uh, numerous issues, and this was uh, pre SOX and pre stock option backdating times. Uh, but it dawned on me that there was an opportunity uh, for uh, emerging and mid sized companies that didn't have in house counsel to be provided with some type of in house uh, legal services on a part time basis as a an alternative to hiring uh, full-time general counsel on staff or using a uh, very expensive outside law firm, especially for the day-to-day type of legal services. And um, as I went through a career transition and started doing more contract work on an outsourced basis, uh, the uh, idea and concept really started to come into clearer focus and and provided a good opportunity for me to... uh, to fine-tune it and to test it and uh, to start rolling it out.
2: John, why don't you give us a little insight about your role at Azaza Consulting?
3: Well, it's interesting that you started your discussion with uh, mentioning Sarbanes-Oxley. Uh, as of 2002, there's been a growing need for companies to comply with uh, Sarbanes-Oxley uh, and other acts that I have that have come Forward, including the revised uh, federal rules of civil procedure, and so what I do is I advise companies on how to comply uh, from a records and information standpoint with the requirements of Sarbanes-Oxley and to be prepared for the revised federal rules. So, if you've got electronic information that is crossing your across your your inform- throughout your information systems at at your company we uh, devise policies and procedures to help companies wrangle that information and maintain it in accordance with Sarbanes-Oxley and and a lot of compliance issues, bottom line.
1: Stuart, I wonder if I could just uh, come back to you for a second uh, and try and... uh... Uh, hone in on a little bit more uh, closely what you do, Uh, how how are the services that you offer uh, a company different than what they would get by simply hiring an outside law firm?
4: Well, we provide services and and all of the people that we work with are former in-house counsel between 10 and 25 years of in-house, typically general counsel experience. So what we do is we come into smaller and emerging companies and provide the the general counsel services, which is typically your day-to-day type of issues, everything from uh, employment matters to contracts to corporate governance. Um, We take a proactive approach to the legal practice, and we actually work out of our clients' offices and become on a part-time basis, part of the senior management team of the company and working closely with the CEO and the board on numerous types of issues. So it's it's very typical to what a full-time in-house counsel would do. We just do it on a part-time basis. It's different from what a an outside attorney does in the sense that we are physically present, we're interacting with management and other staff on a regular basis, and we're Uh, Basically, it's more of a proactive type of uh, legal approach.
1: And are are you, in turn, working with people like John and and his consulting services uh, when when the need arises?
4: Um, Yeah, we typically do work with uh, outside counsel, just like we would as a full-time general counsel. We do not do everything. Uh, We are more of a a generalist practice. Uh, There are areas like uh, patents, securities work, M&A stuff transactions that we do use outside counsel for just like we would if we were uh, full time in house.
2: John Stewart, how do you go about setting your fees?
3: Well, I I bill uh, <clears throat> the way a traditional law firm would bill uh, on an hourly basis, but the what I provide is uh, is a budget up front, and I pretty much commit to sticking to that budget. So it's hourly, but I but I pretty much deliver on on the budget that, unless the client of course changes the the scope tremendously along the way. Stuart, how do you determine what you're going to charge?
4: Our fees are determined on a monthly retained basis. So we sit down with the client ahead of time and determine how many days per week that they're going to need our services. And that's what the monthly retainer is negotiated at. And um, so it's basically a fixed cost for the clients, as opposed to a variable cost that they would typically pay if they were utilizing an outside law firm.
2: Do you limit your hours based on the fee that's negotiated?
4: Yeah, and and there's, uh, you know, some fluff built in for, uh, not necessarily fluff, but <laughs> there's terms built in for uh, additional hours on a monthly basis, and if, we assess that there's a continuing need to expand those services, and we sit down with the client and address those retained issues. But, it, you know, we've been in business for uh, about two years and it has not been an issue for us at all.
1: So, Stuart, tell me who, who your clients are. Tell me the typical company that would come uh, calling on you.
4: Uh, our clients are in the revenue range between $10 million and a $100 million. Um, we've currently got clients that are small public companies. One's been a public company for about 10 years and others uh, just completed an IPO. Uh, we have that on the one side. And on the other side, we have pure startups, uh, everything from technology to biotech to consumer goods. So it's really a, a broad range of uh, companies and, and types of products, but primarily within that $10 million to $100 million range.
1: John, same question to you. Who are your, who are your clients who come to you?
3: My clients tend to be uh, Fortune uh, 500 companies that have massive uh, systems uh, integrated throughout the world, and uh, uh, they they need somebody to come in with with this highly specialized area to help them uh, wrangle their electronic information and devise policies and procedures around that the retention of the electronic information.
2: We had a show last week on e-discovery, John. How uh, did General Counsel view the changes in the federal rules of civil procedure and e-discovery issues that you deal with?
3: Uh, Funny you should ask. As of of the beginning of this year, my phone has been ringing off the hook because the revised federal rules have spurred a concern amongst General Counsel to be prepared, and once and for all, it's time to not ignore that electronic information and, and and harness that information and be prepared to respond in the event of discovery. Are you getting the same type of response, Stuart?
4: Oh, absolutely, and that's part of what we work with clients at early stages is to put in those types of uh, programs and document retention policies.
3: I, I had a question, actually. When you talk about uh, part-time general counsel, uh-huh. are you talking about them being there, let's say, for three months full-time, or basically just working twenty hours a week.
4: Uh, usually the latter, but we also do interim type general counsel work, and and we've gone into situations where a general counsel has left the company, and while the company is searching for a full time replacement, we can go in and provide that service. But more typically, it's uh, on a fixed number of days or fixed number of hours per week that we provide the service to our clients.
3: And is it an indefinite uh, period, or is it? does it have a fi- uh, an end when you sign a contract with them?
4: Uh, no, it's indefinite. And I've currently been with a client for a little over two years, and, uh, and that continues along. And um, most of our engagements are taken on that basis. And we like to grow when, with our clients. So as a, a smaller company is is growing, we can expand along with their uh, growing legal needs.
2: I see that more than likely some of our listeners who are uh, small and mid-sized law firms and even some of the large law firms are scratching their heads thinking to themselves, well, how can we do that? Is there any way that uh, law firms, John, would be able to do the type of work that you're doing? And then, Stuart, let follow up to you.
3: Well, the type, the type of work that I'm doing, uh, a lot of law firms are trying to jump on that bandwagon, uh, for sure. They're trying to offer it as their service. My competitive advantage is that I'm lean and mean and small, and so I can be more competitive in terms of my hourly rates and that kind of thing. Law firms come in with, with their usual law firm rates per hour of five, $600 an hour, and that can be really cost prohibitive for, a, for a large-scale projects such as these electronic information management projects.
1: It seems to me that you we have uh, two probably very different perspectives on what's happening uh, in the corporate world here. Because, it, uh, story, can correct me if I'm, I'm wrong, but it seems to me that many of your clients would be companies that that do not have in-house uh, GC, as you said, or they may uh, be in an interim situation or or maybe moving in that direction. Right. Um, and whereas John, you're uh, clearly uh, working uh, with uh, companies that that have in-house uh, legal staff for the most part. If you're working with Fortune 500 companies, what what is the mood in in, in uh, among companies regarding these compliance issues, regarding Sarbanes Oxley? What are the concerns? What's what's really driving the the legal work these days?
3: Uh, if I may jump in there, uh, for sure, not going to jail is <laughs> uh, <laughs> a start. Uh, Sarbanes Oxley you're you're subject to you know twenty million dollars in in financial penalties. Uh, if you destroy information that should not have been destroyed uh, during a pending or a potential investigation. Uh, and of course, with Sarbanes-Oxley, the CEO and, and the CFO, uh, ultimately the CEO, are charging are signing under penalty of perjury that the information provided to the SEC is true and accurate. And to be able to do that, you need to have systems in place and be able to have the electronic information in place that that supports your documentation. So yeah, definitely it's a fear of of either going to jail or being penalized or basically uh you know, being plastered all all over the Wall Street Journal for noncompliance. All you have to do is open the Wall Street Journal on a weekly basis and you see some company getting nailed for email snafus and, and uh, losing electronic information and, uh, you know, privacy disclosure information under HIPAA. And backdating. Uh, we love to hear about backdating. Oh, backdating. Right. Right.
4: Yeah, and I th- I think that's an excellent point. We also see the the other side of it besides the uh, mandatory compliance and, and avoiding jail type of mentality, but it's also for for these smaller companies that want to grow up to either be acquired or to do an IPO at some point they want to start doing the right thing today and they want to make sure that their closets are cleaned out and and the dust is removed from underneath their carpeting today rather than waiting until they have a pending transaction so that that's a big driver as well and and also the fact that you now have uh, CFOs and CEOs who prefer not doing their own contracts and legal work, but to have an expert in there to handle that for them.
2: John, you worked for Intralase Corporation, which manufactured uh, eye lasers and so forth. What they re- you recently took them through an IPO. What was the the mood of the company prior to uh, going with the IPO?
3: Well, it's interesting that uh, you know the experience that I that I bring to our conversation as as general counsel is that I I really see the need for Stuart Blake's company. Um, early in the process in the in the, c- the development of the company uh, what 's happened is a lot of these companies during their startup process have generally their c f o uh, running the legal department, so essentially acting as the lawyer and of course if you 're not a lawyer uh, it 's you know it 's a dangerous thing, so either you have people that are trying to practice law without a license or you 've got uh, people that are heavily relying on these really, really expensive outside law firms that are charging them you know upwards of six hundred dollars an hour, and that can really eat up your budget. so what happens is when you step in as as general counsel, you step into a situation where there is no infrastructure whatsoever for a legal department, uh, where there's heavy reliance on these outside counsel that have essentially become de facto in house counsel. Uh, almost on, a, on a, almost on the, practically on the payroll. So for me, as as coming in, in into a company that had never had a general counsel before, it was a daunting task to say the least.
1: Sometimes even when the general counsel gets in there, the CFO still tries to run the legal affairs. But that's a whole yes. other
3: conversation. <laughs> yes.
2: <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Stuart, what do you see as the main challenges for the startup, small startup companies? Are you seeing a similar type of reaction, uh, John's seen?
4: Oh, absolutely. And, um, you know, what we found is once companies understand the type of services we provide, they're they're very receptive to the uh, ability to bring in a general counsel on a part-time basis. And I think a lot of the resistance for smaller companies is the fact that they they either think that they have to hire somebody full-time or they need to use a name law firm to provide those services, but at the same time they only take – specific matters that they choose to take to the law firm so they're not getting the good day-to-day legal advice that they should be getting so um, you know we definitely see a sensitivity to the fact that they feel that they they need it and once they understand that there's an alternative out there they're very receptive to that.
3: And if I may just add to that, for example, uh, in terms of the dangers of not having a, some an in-house attorney, uh, you go in and the company has developed a form contract that they've been using with all their vendors uh The vendors, uh, over time, they they probably had an attorney help them draft this this agreement. But over time, that agreement has been bastardized by non-lawyers and has become the accepted form. So you come in as general counsel and you have to do an awful lot of backpedaling and essentially be the bad guy that tells the sales force on a global level, that the form that they've been using is dangerous, and that things need to be revisited, then that creates a lot of political turmoil with the clients uh, who who are used to the terms that were stated in the in those agreements. And there's a lot of things in there that are just dangerous, dangerous pitfalls for you, a company.
2: How do you go about getting the message out to these smaller companies and startup companies that they need this because they're looking and saying we need to keep our expenses down. We don't need to be paying an attorney.
3: You you go on talk shows like this one. <laughs> <laughs>
4: and Do all kinds of other business <laughs> development activities <laughs>
3: well well let me follow up on that i mean how
1: do you market to a when you're not marketing directly to in house counsel how do you how do you market to a company both that that they need this and and that you're the right one to offer it
4: uh we're actually marketing to uh venture capital firms to uh equity investment firms uh CPA firms, anybody who would have a business relationship with these uh, small, emerging, and, and mid-sized companies is who we try to develop relationships with, to let them know that we're out there, that we're in business, and you know we can provide a, a, a high-level uh, or senior-level in-house lawyers to their clients.
1: Well, it's time for us to take a short break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to continue this discussion with our guests, and we will be back in about 60 seconds.
0: We invite you to visit Law.com for timely legal news and in depth resources. From daily headlines to practice specific updates, Law.com provides up to date information to those working in the legal profession. As part of its coverage, Law.com is proud that J. Craig Williams' blog, May It Please the Court, and Robert Ambrogi's blog, Law Sites, are part of its blog network. Don't wait any longer. Visit Law.com today and get free subscriptions of our Newswire newsletter with the top legal stories of the day, or sign up for a free trial subscription to one of our practice center sections. If you found us in the podcast library of iTunes, thanks for listening. Check out some of our other shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com and become a member. It's free. Coast to Coast is produced by the Legal Talk Network and a staff of broadcast professionals. If you have an idea for a topic or a show, we want to hear from you. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and send us an email.
3: If you have a comment
1: or question we want to hear from you, leave us a message on the Legal Talk Network listener line at 781-634-8959. We really do listen to the messages and even answer your questions on our next show.
0: A video settlement documentary can be the most powerful and persuasive way to bring about a speedy settlement in your client's case. That's 800-317-5221, or check out our website at bostonmediagroup.com.
2: Welcome back to Coast to Coast on the Legal Talk Network. I'm Craig Williams.
1: And this is Bob Ambrogi. Thanks for staying with us. We're joined uh, today by John Asaza, the principal of Asaza Consulting in Newport uh, Beach, California, and uh, uh, Stuart Blake, co-founder of the General Counsel LLC, also based in Newport Beach, and uh, um, I'd like to ask Stuart. I certainly I've been hearing a lot more over the last couple of years about the this this idea of the outside general counsel. Uh, do you do you represent a trend? And uh, if so, where is this trend heading? Are others doing this, and, and where's it all going?
4: Uh, we believe we do represent a trend, um, and there there are certainly others doing it around the country. Some do it more as a law firm model. Others do it um, probably more towards the the model that we represent. Um, But we have found a real need for this in the business community. And in the two years that we've been in business, we've uh, really built a strong foundation in Southern California of uh, clients. And, in fact, we're um, poised to take on our first client in the San Francisco Bay Area as well. Uh, which we think is probably a bigger growth area for this type of uh, uh, legal market. And we we see this as a a need across the country. So, you know, we have our eyes on expanding um, perhaps rapidly, but but maybe not market by market uh, across the country as we are able to find the resources and find the right uh, attorneys with in-house legal experience to help
3: us uh, lead the charge on this.
1: John, I'm, I'm sorry. You're in Newport Coast, California. I said Newport Beach, California.
3: It's it, it's uh technically part of Newport Beach. Okay.
1: <laughs> it, 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 what about you? Uh, where do you see uh, the trend heading in terms of law firms' use of of uh, legal consultants such as yourself, or rather corporate, corporations' use of legal consultants such as yourself?
3: I actually, from everything I've read, there's an uh, in terms of statistics, there's definitely an increased uh, trend for using a specialized consultant such as myself. you know by my, my area of of practice is, is actually quite esoteric prior to Sarbanes-Oxley, I was only one of five attorneys in the entire country that specialized in this area of law, and now it's become uh, pretty widespread as law firms are jumping in. Definitely, there's a trend towards hiring the specialists to come in. Quick in, quick out, and get the job done uh, and I would say that there's also a, a trend to hire the the uh, part time counsel, uh, not just in the business model that Stewart offers, but uh, essentially when when I joined my company as general counsel, uh, the outside law firm had become a de facto part time counsel in fact the the corporate uh, attorney sat as an advisor on the board of directors, and they get deeply entrenched in the company. Uh, in that way, and it's really just a guaranteed uh, uh, source of of revenue for the law firm if they if they, if they get to that those kinds of positions.
1: Wait, what it, it's interesting to me that that uh, some of your competition must must be outside uh, outside the legal field in the sense that there are a number of private vendors that provide uh, kind of records management and, and information management guidance to companies. Uh, How is what you do uh, different from what a private vendor or a non-lawyer vendor might do in this space?
3: Yeah, a good question, and in fact, that's precisely. They range from the mom and pop single practitioner that has a master's in library sciences uh, to uh, Deloitte and Touche, or or some other huge uh the Huron group uh you know huge uh accounting firms that have a, a, a practice that's devoted to this the difference with what i offer is that i'm not just offering um the the advice i actually back it up by by it being legally defensible so it's coming from an attorney with uh, malpractice insurance it's not just coming from from uh you know a, a non lawyer and Stuart, is a
2: Part-time GC, do you feel that you can f- provide the full range of services that smaller companies need? I mean, it, it really is almost a full-time job, isn't it?
4: Well, for some companies, they don't necessarily have the need for to have somebody there on a full-time basis. Um, but when we are there, we are their dedicated general counsel. And... It, it, we, we find it interesting that if we're there on Tuesdays and Thursdays, uh, the company knows we're coming in those days, the issues, uh, so long as they're non-urgent, will be ready for us when we come in, the client's ready to work with us on those couple of days, and uh, you know they find it to be very cost-effective for them and, and a very efficient process. And until their legal needs grow into a full-time position, we're a, a good solution for them.
2: Well, we've reached the point in our program where we need to begin to wrap it up, and uh, I wanted to toss out a kind of question for your final thoughts of, about today's discussion and then ask you to give your contact information to our listeners. John?
3: Well, in terms of uh, final thoughts, I, I totally agree with uh, that we we. There is a trend to to hire outside counsel, and I think uh, companies it would behoove companies, especially startups, uh, to really consider uh, the services of the likes of a of a of a Stuart Blake. Uh, and of course, uh, for companies uh, like mine, I, I also work with smaller companies in in developing policies and procedures around their records and information management. Better to do it early on rather than waiting till you're you've got a morass of information flowing across the inf- the the company so in terms of uh how to contact me uh, i've got a website uh which will be launched hopefully next week uh johnisaza.com and isaza spelled i s a z as in zebra a, dot com. and uh my contact information is area code 949 632 3860 stuart uh
4: thank you uh, the the general counsel as i mentioned Uh, provides uh, client companies with access to the best corporate counsel experience at a a cost-effective monthly retainer, uh, which is typically well below the cost of a traditional hourly rate law firm. Um, We become embedded in the strategic business of our clients. Uh, We're sensitive to their business needs, and uh, we free up management to focus on running the business of the company, which is what they should be doing on a regular basis. My contact information uh, office number is area code 949-709-5527. My cell phone is area code 949-842-9379. My email address is sblake at thegeneralcouncil.net, and our website can be found at www.thegeneralcouncil.net. Thank you.
1: John and Stuart, thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate your time and your thoughts on this topic. Craig, uh, I will talk to you next time on our program. Uh, for now, Coast to Coast.
2: And we've intimated it in the past, Bob, uh, and we uh, will alert our listeners that uh, we will likely be changing our name shortly from the legal, uh, from Coast to Coast on the Legal Talk Network, and you'll hear more later. That's right.
1: Talk to you next time.
2: Take care.
0: Thanks for listening to Coast to Coast with Robert Ambroji and J. Craig Williams. Coast to Coast has been sponsored by Law.com. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network.